Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! Happy Halloween, everybody! (laughs) That's right, we're totally being on theme here. This is dropping on Halloween Day. I hope you're listening to us on Halloween Day as well, or Or Halloween Halloween night. night. Circle to the right. Circle to the right on Halloween. That was a square dance that we used to sing in my elementary school. Square dance for Halloween? from Florida, man. Oh, or fair. <laughs> fair. Florida. Fair. Yeah, gators and shit. <laughs> That's true. Uh, no, this is that we're doing this. Happy Halloween to everybody, as we said at the beginning here. Uh, thank you all for downloading another episode of the Geek Buddies. And maybe some of you are taking us with you as you take your kids trick-or-treating. You're listening to us on your headphones. Hopefully... You're still paying attention to everything around you, right. but yeah, you're still listening. But Stranger danger, guys. Stranger yeah. danger. Take the headphones off. But this with a fun size Snickers at the same time. Oh, oh, oh. sounds like a delight. Perfect. Oh, uh, well, my name is. Jo- <laughs> I'm just thinking about. <laughs> I was at a Halloween. I was at a Halloween party in San Francisco last weekend, and they were mm-hmm. like, they were getting out the candy that they're giving to kids. And my friends are the house that gives out like the full size bars. Oh, like full size Snickers bars, giant Kit Kats, and I was like, yeah, you guys are the legit house. What's your favorite candy bar? <laughs> Like if you like if you go to trick or treating and you when I, open the bag and, you, and someone had slid in a candy bar, your favorite. What would make you go, "Oh my god"? When I was a kid, yes, I would trade any amount of Twix or Snickers for Butterfingers. I thought Butterfinger was the best candy. I would trade anything for. I would take everybody's Butterfinger, even though it got stuck. It totally got teeth. stuck. It totally got stuck. Yeah. I just loved how it tasted. I'm going to buy a Butterfinger on the way home tonight. I was, I was that way about Captain Crunch. Like, Captain Crunch rips the roof of your mouth to totally pieces. Totally rips the roof. But it's fucking worth it. Yeah. I think when I was a kid, do you guys remember Whatchamacallit? Of course. Yeah. I, I, that, that was my favorite as a kid. But then as I got older and I discovered my love for coconut, first I went Almond Joy. Oh, yeah. But then yeah. I discovered in Japan there's a, uh, county, or a candy bar called a Bounty. Yes, Bounty. Oh, they sell it here. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to go to like a specialty shop. Yes, like, you they do. don't have it at a grocery store. You're right. But it is it is basically a giant almond joy. They don't break it yep. up into two little pieces. It's a giant thing of coconut and dark do chocolate. You, John, do you remember when we went to London? Yeah, I remember that. There was that candy bar that was like honeycomb. It was like chocolate and had like honeycomb or something oh, on the inside. Yeah. And it was like it melted. Like yes. the honeycomb basically melted when you bit into it. Yeah. It sounds very English. It was very English. It was good. Very British. <laughs> Um, Fish and chips and melting honeycomb. <laughs> it wasn't a Zagnut, was it? No, 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 no. no, no, Did, no. Have you ever had a Zagnut? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that was a real thing for the longest time. Really? I just heard about it from Beetlejuice. Oh. Oh, yeah. Those, those, I love going into World Market or some of the older, some of the candy stores and seeing the old stuff. World like, Market has the weirdest candy. They do. It's, it's <laughs> that European shit. It's very strange. Like Charleston Chew. Whenever I come across a Charleston Chew, I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah, you know what they call at, at World Market, what they call Werther's? Oh, Ver- oh, Werther's. Werther's. Because they're from Germany. Oh, gosh. Like, like, like you have What's Werther's, We have Werther's. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Klaus. Calm it down. Calm it down. Uh, no offense to your heritage there. Like, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I'm John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host over at Collider and the co-host of the Top Ten Show. Uh, uh, Cinephiles, uh, proud host of The Deep Cut, and of course, very proud host of The Geek Buddies. Uh, this is Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and also a proud co-host of the Geek Buddies. That's my only podcast. <laughs> I am I don't have the stamina of John Roca. Yeah, cuz we uh, this is the second one that I'm doing tonight. And- but you have another one after this. I have Cinephiles after this yeah. one. It's my third one. So, tell, Steve, yeah. tell Steve we said hello. I will, absolutely. So if I'm still alive. You're nice and warmed up right now. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been doing it all day at Collider. So, like, I'm just jumping into doing it here extra. But, yes. And Who this, is that? This and this is this is Shannon McClung. I'm uh, an animation writer and a television actor. I'm trying to think of Halloween credits. Uh, I was in the Halloween episode of Wizards of Waverly yes, Place. Yes, you were. I was uh, on Teen Wolf, which is sort of Halloween-y. Sure. And I was also on Anger Management. With Charlie Sheen, which is sort of a character, Halloween I mean, character. He's scary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could see that. That's nice. kind of scary. Nice enough. <laughs> what do you want? Um, all right. So to, you know, for those of you who are new to the show, thank you so much for taking a chance on the Geek Buddies. For those who have been here every week or discovered us uh, over the last few weeks, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, you know, we'll tell you how the show works. Each of us uh, 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 gives a geek news item, then we all talk about it, and then we have a main news topic, which will definitely be the Benioff and Weiss situation in Star Wars and the far-reaching implications of that. But uh, one of us has a special uh, geek news item to pitch and talk about that's very Halloween-related, and we can't wait to get into that one. So just hold on to your horses when it gets to that one in just a second, in a little in a few minutes. Um, do I start? You, you start. start. All right, I'll start. That's the Game of Thrones news. The other Game of Thrones news. The other Game of Thrones news. There is so much happening with Game of Thrones here. We found out that surprisingly, the Naomi Watts-led one has been canceled. They're not going to go forward with this one. And then almost just when people were like dealing and with the ramifications of that and accepting that, HBO came out and said that they're going with House of the Dragons. They're going to put that on HBO Max, their new streaming service that uh, is coming out soon next year. Um, and this will appear on there. It is also a prequel series, 300 years before what we saw in Game of Thrones. It has to deal with the House Targaryen and everything, and dragons. Um, so um, a lot of people are really shocked about the fact that the Naomi Watts one did not go to series uh, because, A, it was a female-led show with a lot of female creators behind the scenes on it, producing it, directing it, uh, being in charge of it, what have you. Uh, and the fact that they just went ahead uh, uh, without it uh, was shocking to people. THR wrote up something and said that the initial pilot, uh, the HBO execs didn't like the initial pilot, sent some notes. They made the adjustments, saw uh, the pilot with the adjustments, and still didn't like it. And that was the final nail in the coffin. Reactions from you two, gentlemen? I mean, I feel like I've got like – Westeros backlash, like there's Ooh, yeah. just so much happened. I, I don't care. Ooh. I mean, like, like it's it's it's, and we'll get to the stuff later. But it's like I, I've had a very weird reaction to any Game of Thrones news mm. like this because as much, and we know that because we've discussed it on the show and we argued about it. Like as much as I obsessed over that show for so many years, that last season burned me so bad yeah. that, like, Last Jedi burned you. Oh, girl. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> on the right. holiday? Like a re- <laughs> You're going to do this to me on the holiday? On the telephone? <laughs> what you talking about on the telephone? Uh, no, it, ju- it just like I it, – it doesn't mean that I won't be excited if something comes out that's Game of Thrones related that's good. Sure. But the fact that something is going to happen or not happen, I just don't really have a feeling on. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, makes sense. Yeah. And and to be honest, I think because you know what was an, the one thing I will say that I thought was interesting is the fact that they talked about this pilot. They're like, well, the pilot came in, it was bad. Mm-hmm. They had them redo some stuff. They still weren't happy with it. But as we know, uh, both from what Benioff and White said recently, but this is kind of has been known for a while. Like that first Game of Thrones pilot for the series was a disaster. Great point. I mean, a complete disaster. Yeah. But I think at that time. There was still this, this is a really good idea. We're behind this idea. We're going to make this work. And I think that – and I don't know this for sure, but perhaps had season eight gone out with just a huge bang and been awesome, maybe at HBO there would have been a little bit more, guys, this is our big brand. Yeah, We're going to make both of these shows work. And I kind of think that because of the – 
fan reaction to season eight. And probably, to be completely honest, even though nobody would say it publicly, probably the reaction to a lot of people at HBO yeah. about season eight. There's kind of like a, look, guys, if it's not working, it's not working. There's, and this is the thing that people who are listening to us need to understand. There are people who work at these studios. They will say what they're supposed to say in front of the camera and to reporters for PR's sake. But behind the scenes – they will slide a little comment to you and say what they really think about the situation and what they really think about what happened. And I'm quite sure – I don't have any proof, but I'm quite sure you're correct that a lot of people over at HBO were like, man, I think we couldn't stop them. They were crashing. They were going to go as far as they were going to go. But we, the show was the show and they did what they had to do. But uh, we, we didn't like it either. I wasn't even paying attention a lot to the show. Do we know what the content of this show was versus the other show? Like- Just that it was a prequel mm-hmm. set uh, uh, like a thousand years, a couple thousand years be- prior to the events of the main series. OK. Yeah. 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 It had to do with White Walkers. Yeah, I knew. OK, that's what it was. It was more about the White Walkers. So this yeah. was more about the White Walkers versus the other one, which is the other piece of the news, mm-hmm. which is the well, – Yeah, Targa- House of the Dragons. Targaryen. Yeah. Right, that, right. That's Targaryen. I mean – and again, I think maybe because of the way season eight burned me on the White Walkers, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like less interested, whereas the history of the Targaryens still strikes me as a pretty fast – like the you know yeah. the dragons, the Mad King – like leading up to right. the Mad King depending on how far back you go. Like that – objectively or subjectively still sounds more interesting to me. Yeah. Just because I'm kind of like, eh, White Walkers kind of was a... It was a kind of... Well, but also HBO had several, more than these two, um, Game of Thrones companion series Mm -hmm. in development. And and I thought at one point that even the Targaryen, like they were all sidelined for the Naomi Watts one. I feel like the Targaryen news, that's that's been recent, that that suddenly came back into the limelight. Um, But yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Mike. It's uh, when your enthusiasm has been dampened to to the degree that season eight did, you don't really care to revisit that world. And this is not me uh, harping on Last Jedi, but I do think that's part of the reason with Solo. People are like, "Eh, I didn't really care for Last Jedi. Mm. And you hear all these stories about this behind the scenes um, uh, turmoil. Like, yeah, it's like they're, they're not necessarily inclined to revisit that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is what I, I said this morning on Movie Talk. I said it feels to me like this is a car that's burst into flames and has, fall, it's went, has gone over a cliff. And the, season eight was it was it bursting into flames and this uh, canceling of this prequel pilot is it going off the cliff. Like I think just like you, Mike, I think a lot of people are burnt out about talking about Game of Thrones because the connotation isn't positive anymore. Right, uh, And I think, well, maybe 10 years from now, people will be like, oh, reappreciating the first seven seasons. And maybe even like they did with the prequels, excusing season eight and finding the positives of season eight. And then Benioff and Weiss will get a nice retrospective. But the more they talk, the less it helps this situation. Well, that's we'll get we'll get to all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of thought. I, I do think it's interesting. And this is probably a bigger conversation for another day. But, mm. you know, there's a lot of talk, including uh, what Hollywood Reporter said about Benioff and Weiss today. But there's a lot of talk about toxic fandom. Uh, right. Um, but to be fair, and I, as we have talked about, do not have the same issues with Last Jedi that you guys have. But mm-hmm. yes, clearly people have Star Wars concerns. Yeah. You know, between Game of Thrones season eight and the uh, the Fantastic Beasts series yeah. that they're doing with Harry Potter and what's going on with Star Wars um, and the DC universe in yeah. general. Yeah. Like it, it is – it's easy to blame fans and say fans are too toxic and fans are ridiculous and fans overreact and fans get nasty on Twitter. And that is all true. Yeah. At the same time, aside from the Marvel Universe, like a lot of these big epic franchise worlds that uh, are making the studios billions of dollars aren't being handled perfectly right yeah. now. Yeah, that's right. a fair point. Well, and you know, there, I think there's a reason that Marvel has been sort of that shining example because to do that is really, really hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not an easy undertaking. So it's not a, a giant shock for these big properties who tried to do these big you know, uh, shared universes that most of them don't work out and some of them flame out spectacularly like the dark universe. Yeah. Well, and this... Well, that, that flamed out before it started. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. We got a univ... And that was it. It was done. Yeah. Didn't even get verse out. <laughs> that was how fast it went out. I want to see the the uh, the, the low-level executive who got all their business cards with the dark universe logo yeah, on the right. back. How you doing? 
Tom James, here you go. Tom James, Dark Universe. Tom James. <laughs> I know Dark you hear his phone ding, ding. Yeah, I'm going to take that back. <laughs> yeah. He crosses out dark and adds old to the end. Oh, that's universal. <laughs> universal. Just universal. Dark universal? No, no, no. My bad, my bad. You know, those printers, I, I didn't want to pay for more cards. Uh, oh, so- Kinko's, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jane Goldman was spearheading this one that was uh, canceled. She's uh, uh, connected to Kick-Ass and Stardust. It was going to star Naomi Watts. It was, was going to take place 5,000 years before the events of Game of Thrones and was said to focus on the Age of Heroes, which was the humans battling the White Walkers for the first time. So you think just that logline alone sounds interesting, right? Because as much as the White Walkers were, a, as you said, Mike, in season eight – the first time the battle, man, could be incredible. We could have a band of brothers. I'm sorry, a uh, Battle of the Bastards episode in this series leading up to it. You know? I think the problem that anyone is going to have with the Game of Thrones series, mm. and I'm, this isn't to say that somebody can do it because people will come along and they will do it. But for all of the frustration people have with George R. R. Martin not finishing his books yet and yeah. what he's doing, he created an intensely – complicated world yes. with characters that had ridiculously convoluted backstories and made it work yeah. in a way that people loved. And that was adapted, uh, you know, pretty very, very truthfully yeah. up until they ran out of material with the HBO series. And I think trying to recapture that when you're pitching a show, uh, whether it's 5,000 years ago in the Age of Heroes, whether it's the Targaryens, it's like, you know, unless you have George R. R. Martin sitting right there going – drawing you a map yeah, right. of everything, it's like creating the compelling characters that are going to be as interesting and beloved as you know, Cersei and Bran and Jon Snow mm. and Daenerys and everybody. Like that, that's, that's, those are big shoes to fill from a fantasy standpoint. So yeah. I think that's, that's where it's, it's, it's tough. Well, I find this also fascinating too. If you look at – you, you – um, how can I say that? You juxtapose them canceling this at a pilot level. With them saying ordering straight to series, this other one without even – I don't know how much of the pilot level that they've – have they done any pilot work on this thing at all? Because they mean, ordered it straight to series. I mean they would they would be far enough along in the development process. But I mean yeah, they haven't shot a frame of footage. They I, don't think, I don't think they have a cast. Yes. <laughs> I mean I think honestly – but I, I think it really does all come down – when you have these big worlds – uh, it's the same as, and you know, we're going to talk about a lot of the, uh, yeah. the DC stuff that's coming up. But like, when you have these big worlds that have uh, attached fandoms, and you say something, it's going to be the White Walkers. It's five thousand years ago. Yeah. Where you're like, it's going to be the Targaryens. That's great. But when you're in a room full of television executives, they're like, okay, cool, love it, sounds great. Who are the characters? What do I care about? Like, when I watch this right. first episode, who who am I watching? Yeah. Why do I care about their story? Where is this going to go? And a lot of times, when you have those big worlds, they can be a crutch. Yep. And you can fall back on them and really not have the most compelling characters. And so maybe it really just at the end of the day is a matter of like one of these had really compelling characters and one of them didn't. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, all right, well, we'll keep an eye on this. That's for sure. As as we are Game of Thrones fans, we'll see if this one's because I think all of us who are burnt by it, like enough time will pass by the time this thing debuts that we'll be maybe ready to see if it's good any good. Maybe or not. as long as Benny and White stay off. Twitter and film festivals. Oh, yeah. They got a stick. What? Twisting the I, knife in my heart. I mean, <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. We just put words on a page and things happened. Uh, anyway, all right. Let's yeah. move on to our next geek. Maybe not the three martini lunch before we get away. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, speak at a big conference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my eyes were getting bigger and bigger as I was reading that tweet thread. I was like, what is... Somebody shoot them. Like somebody stop them. Like some publisher should have run in. How is a publisher not running in at this point and stopping them from talking? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, from the troubling news on the Game of Thrones front, we have some really exciting news on the Berlanti DCCW Universe, now HBO Max front. Wow. That's so, a lot. That's, uh, a, that's a bit. The HBO Max CW DC Universe. It tracks. It tracks. Okay. <laughs> so three <laughs> big projects were announced, kind of like one after the other. First... Um, they are going to be doing, uh, for the CW, a yeah. uh, series focused on uh, Superman and Lois from the CW-verse with uh, Tyler, is it Hocklin, Hecklin? Yeah, Hocklin. Tyler Hocklin and uh, Elizabeth Tulloch, and it is going to be appropriately titled Superman and Lois, and it's basically what happens after they uh, they decide to maybe step back from the superhero world. I mean... Apparently the parents. Yeah. 
This happened in the Arrowverse, apparently. They yeah. had a kid. Yeah, they had a kid. All right. Uh, you know, lo- so uh, this version of Superman appeared, I believe, in the season two premiere of Supergirl. Yep. And then they brought in Lois Lane in the last big crossover mm-hmm. uh, that is kind of, kind of the, the that laid the groundwork for Crisis on mm-hmm. Infinite Earth, which is coming up. Um, brought her in, and uh, and part of that story is that she was going to Argo uh, to have their baby. So that was that was something that was mentioned oh. in in that crossover, which is kind of explains where. You know, Supergirl always has that issue of like you don't actually want Superman there all the time. Right. Supergirl's the hero of the show. So it's like they bring Superman in when they need to. But then it's like, oh, where did he go? Well, they're going to go have the baby. So yeah. uh, and, you know, they've both been announced for the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover right. along with. When is that going to air? December. I, it is December. OK. Yeah, yeah. yeah December. Um so they've both been announced for that crossover. They're going to be a part of it uh, along with every other character who's ever been a superhero in any TV version of anything ever. Well, and not just TV. <laughs> and not just TV. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think this is exciting. OK. I, um, being, I think he's a great Superman and a great Clark Kent. I find him super charming and he's just – he's got a really nice – G golly wow about him that mm-hmm. feels really right for Superman. I didn't love her in the crossover Ooh. as Lois. Okay. Uh, I get very picky about my Lois Lanes. It's, it's, a, it's a hard role to cast. I think you, I think I'm more picky about Lois Lane than I am Superman. I think I'm more picky about Lois Lane than Superman yeah. for sure. Uh, uh, but I will say, like, she's not in it a ton. Okay. Um, and uh, to be fair to her, I don't think she was given a ton to do. Okay. Um, so I I'm I'm open to her like kind of diving in and yeah the 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 description of the show is saying you know them sort of being uh you know parents in the modern world yep, yep. Uh, which i think is really really interesting so i'm not quite sure uh you know in the comics currently yeah uh you know superman and lois do have a son jonathan kent um and they Lived in Smallville for a while with him uh, to kind of raise him there. And now then they came back to Metropolis and they're there now. Um, and then he went to space with his grandpa Jor-El who turned out to be crazy. But then he went into a wormhole and he aged and he's 17 and now he's with the Legion of Superheroes. But that's a whole bunch of other stuff. That's not for the show. That's just in the comics Wait, right Jor-El now. Wait, jor is in the Legion of Superheroes? No. Uh, Super- Jonathan Kentis. Jonathan Kentis. Jor-El – it's a whole thing. You got to go read it. It's a lot of a lot of things happening in Superman right I'm now. I'm not crazy. You're just looking at me wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm so so long and, and short cri- is Krypton. 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 Uh, <laughs> long and short, I think this is a fun idea, and I'm excited about. I'm excited about the post-crisis CW mm. universe. And this would be big news even by itself. But there's more news because the next day yeah. they announced two series for HBO Max. One is uh, Strange Adventures, which is an anthology series that sort of uh, DC's take on like Amazing Stories, yeah. Twilight Zone, sort of you know one-off episodes. Black Mirror with superheroes. There you go. <laughs> and then the big one, which I, can't, I don't know how they are going to do this. They are going to do a series set in the world of Green Lantern. Yeah, will it be the core or will it be Green Lantern? My well, it guess. says because Jeff read, John said he was doing a core movie. When you read when you the way they announced it, they said it. I think Berlanti was quoted as saying this, or it was in the press release. It's quoted as a a series inspired by the world of Green Lantern. What the fuck does that mean? He said they're going to space, which to me says this is not going to be an Earth Lantern yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you can also do this series where it takes place within the realm of the CW-verse and never actually touch it because yeah. they're off on a far corner of space. I mean, <laughs> they have so many different Green Lanterns that they could pull from to be the lead of this show. Certainly. I that mean, aren't human-based even. Sure. Right? But even going from your human... I mean, I, I would assume that even if they... And, and maybe not. I mean, I, I'm down for whatever. Yeah. I would assume that for... The typical executive thing would be like, well, who, you know, you, you want your you, – they call it your way in character. Right, right. Uh, who's the character that we're following, that we're tracking? So I would imagine it would probably be a human. Mm. Um, but if it's I, – maybe not Hal Jordan. Could you it know, be Abin Sur? Could it be a prequel of Abin Sur with the Green Lantern sure. Corps that leads to a human Green Lantern two seasons down the road? It could be. Right? Yeah, I mean, that seems – that uh, we've never seen that story. That'd for anyone who's fun. not a super nerd, All Abin right. Sur – was the greatest Green Lantern yes. uh, of all time until he went bad and became Sinestro. Sinestro. Right. Avensur? No, no, Avensur. No, no, no. Avensur is the one who hands – Avensur is the one who dies. Yeah, Sinestro was a really big Green Lantern. Sinestro was a Green Lantern, but his name was always Sinestro. And you probably don't want to hire a guy named Sinestro to be a hero. It's kind of – as John Cena said, it's kind of in the name. 
Decepticons. <laughs> it's kind of in the name. Sinestro. So yeah, the name. Yeah, yeah. My bad. I haven't soared my Sinestro. My yeah. alien, my alien is off. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I agreed with you, and then I was like, wait a minute. And then Shannon, thank God you saved us. No, because I, I think you were you thinking of like one of the Guardians, and I think that was the Green Lantern movie where one of the Guardians became Parallax. Oh, that is what I was thinking. Of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But even on the human front, you have at least. Five characters? Sure, sure. Kyle is, Reese, Stewart. Uh, Kyle Reese is in Terminator. Oh, Kyle, sorry, Kyle Rayner. Kyle Rayner, <laughs> uh, Kyle Rayner yeah. Simon Baz, Jessica Cruz, uh, John Stewart, and Hal Jordan, and Guy Gardner. You got, Guy Gardner. Yeah. I think, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they went Jessica Cruz. Really? Female. Okay. I like it. Female character. It's more in, like newer, younger. Yeah. I don't know. I But I do – I'm excited about it. I also am excited about – a Green Lantern show. Uh, uh, if they had said they were going to do a Green Lantern show on CW, I would have been excited about it yeah. and excited about it being part of the universe. Um, as with all of the uh, streaming services, mm-hmm. it going on HBO Max makes me think it's going to have a much higher budget. Yes. And that it will be able to do space properly. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Because that would be my concern is you're doing a show entirely set in space. And granted, you're going to have, you're going to have sets. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's going to be a lot of digital, a lot of special effects work. I mean, just to sort of display their powers yeah. well. I mean, that's yeah. a big, that's going to be a big special effects budget. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I like the idea. If they go into space and do the core, I'm, I'm cool with the core. I don't need a human to anchor me in the core. I, I think any hardcore geek who loves Green Lantern would be perfectly happy to have yeah. an all-alien cast yeah. I think that for the wider audience, they will probably have at least one human. Well, Evans, there. couldn't Evan Sir be kind because he he could be sure, looking 100%. like a human, even though he's like purple not, or whatever I'd it is. Be, I'd be super down for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I hear your point. It makes but sense. I, I could see. A sh- I could easily see a show where you just start with a character mm-hmm. on Earth. Uh, maybe you even reference some of the other CW stuff as like a wink and a nod to everybody if you can, like yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then you really quickly get that person off Earth. To space, and that's the last you see of Earth. Do you think they're going to do like what um, Feige is doing with Marvel TV? That these TV shows are going to connect up into the larger DCU, or no? Do you think the I would doubt that. Yeah, I don't think so. But here's we don't have a Green Lantern. We don't. It is really hard to reverse engineer that. Okay, and you and it's an all or nothing deal. Mm -hmm. And basically, the TV universe right now. It has a Flash. It does. It has a Green Arrow. It has a Superman. It mm-hmm. has a Lois Lane. You can't take one of those and graduate them up to the big leagues and True. recast everybody else. It doesn't make sense. So the problem when you try and reverse engineer a universe and say, yeah. well, let's just do that, is you have to take the whole universe. And that yeah. would mean taking all the TV actors and elevating them. And I just don't think that – I mean DC can barely figure out what they're doing with their movies. They're not going to – that's a fair point. Uh, yeah, I wonder about it. Because, I mean, it's, there's a lot of rumors go- that have been going out over the last few days about Marvel possibly bringing back Charlie Cox for a Daredevil and Bernthal for Punisher. Marvel and can do Jessica it. Jessica Jones. And, yeah. But Marvel can do it because even though those characters were sort of removed by a wall of yeah. like, you're in Marvel TV, you can't say these names or whatever. Right. They still – more or less existed in a timeline that is contiguous. Like, yeah. They lived in a world where the Chitari had in, had invaded New York. Yeah, they made a reference to they it. They made yes. references to the incident. Yes. So any of those characters popping up, they sort of were built in a way that they can easily move from one place to another. Whereas if you had had a show, a Marvel, like a Marvel show where there had not been an Iron Man yeah. and the Hulk, the Hulk was Lou Ferrigno and whatever, and then you brought those characters, it gets wonky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the DC the DC films are so splintered now mm-hmm. that to try to make try to tie them into that larger universe, I think, is probably unlikely. Okay. Yeah, I think I think DC is going to have to either do something super weird in sci-fi to fix their universe at some point, yeah. or just decide they're not gonna have a connected universe, or wait a few more years until they burn out and just start from scratch. Okay. One last question. Uh, do you think? Do you think we're? Oh, I'm not gonna say this. There are so many superhero shows coming out on these streaming services. Are we heading towards burnout. the bubble, or are we fine? Because people have been saying burnout for the last five years now, but we seem to keep creating more and more content, and people seem to like it. Uh, certainly, Umbrella Academy uh, uh, Netflix released the numbers. It's one of their highest rated watched shows. The Boys, one of the highest rated watched shows. So, like, I think they're still. I don't places think a, to go. I don't think as a genre it's going to burn out okay. anytime soon. Okay. I think there are certain properties that could burn out. Yeah, but as long as and, and I think they're all kind of trying to follow 
Marvel's lead. Like right. as long as Marvel keeps doing well, I think this stuff is going there. You're going to have competitors try to replicate their success, mm-hmm. even if they're not following their model. Yeah, I mean that's a good way to put it. Like at some point, Marvel will collapse. Yes, one day. I mean, and I don't. I think they're doing an amazing job. I think they can continue going, but like anything, mm-hmm. it won't last forever. And that being the big umbrella of which everything else is under, as Shannon is saying, I think once yeah. that collapses, that's where things are going to take a giant shift. Okay. All right. Well, like uh, our other geek news item, we'll keep an eye on it. But really happens. quickly, I just want to like also say oh. I'm really excited about this Strange Adventures. Yeah. Like we don't – we I think we talked about it the least because it's like there's the least known about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there's the opportunity for out of all those things, some of the more interesting – kind of to your point about mm-hmm. the Umbrella Academy and the boys yeah, yeah. and these things that are kind of taking superhero stories and pushing them further – I think the opportunity with Strange Adventures, which seems to be an anthology series, which is an anthology series, which mm. means that every episode is a standalone thing. Yeah. I think that means you can take some lesser known characters from the DC universe, some of the weirder characters, tell some darker stories. Mm. Like I think that there's going to be – that may end up being the Dark Horse contender for the one that everyone's like, holy shit. I was, that was the one I was least excited about and yeah. ended up being the coolest one. Do we get a dead man? Or is it Dead Man premiered in Strange Adventures. That's what I'm saying. So it could, we could get a, a standalone yeah, yeah. or a Constantine or something like that would have its own thing. Dead Man, Animal Man. Animal Man. Um, Enchantress, the Suicide, Suicide Squad version, that or, Enchantress. Or this is where potentially like different kind of Elseworlds things could appear as well. So it's, the, it's their what if. It's their what if version. It could version. be. It, it could, could be. be. Right. could be. Certainly so. All right. What's our uh, next geek news item? Well, guys – uh, I don't really have a geek news item this week, but I love Halloween. It is pretty much one of the best days of the year. Uh, I think Halloween's amazing, and so I thought in honor of it being Halloween, in honor of us all being lovers of movies, uh, I thought we should each go around and kind of talk about like our favorite our favorite scary movie or a moment in movies where we scared ourselves shitless or like what is a what is what is your biggest kind of scary movie memory? Ooh. Okay. So I will try to truncate this <laughs> as much as I can because it okay. involves two movies. But the first horror film that I got a glimpse of was The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. And I was about four years old. One of my sisters – Holy shit. Yeah. One of my sisters was having a slumber party. Mm. And at the time, I had a thing for older women. So I wanted to go out and scope out the, the girls and see at what they the, were doing. I'm sorry. At the time? <laughs> At the time, it's taller women—women <laughs> women who are taller. It's than a mom them. complex. Sorry, Mrs. McClung. How dare you? You've, you've met my mother. I have. She's a sweet lady. Makes a hell of a good batch of eggs. Let me tell you. Thank you. That. Thank you for those eggs, man. So I snuck out to try and spy on the girls, and I four years old when I was four years old. Yeah. Um, wow, that explains a lot. And, and, dirty, dirty dog. And I glimpsed. How do you um, understand sex at four years old? All right, go ahead. I glimpsed the exorcism scene with the head. Oh, the, the head that's, rotation. That's what you get. And I was scarred. I mean, mm-hmm. traumatically. Like I, I have an issue with scary movies now. Yeah. So the next scary movie that I wanted to see, scary, and I'm using that term very loosely, uh, was <laughs> the Monster Squad. In 1987, because it was sort of in the aftermath of like the Goonies, and I begged my mother to take me to see this movie. Yeah, I made it in about 12 minutes. I know the Monster Squad. You mean, yep. you, mean you left the? You told your mom to take out the theater. And I leaned over to my mom and wow. said, "I am scared." We walked out, and because we'd only been in the movie theater about 20 minutes with the previews, yeah. she was like, she was looking around, and we went, we snuck in to go see Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Which in a lot of ways is scarier. It could be. The Frank Langella thing is pretty scary. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So my mother never let me live that down. And it would be years before I voluntarily went into another scary movie. And that scary movie was the re-release of The Exorcist. And it was for a girl again. An older girl? Uh, Maybe. Taller? Definitely. Uh, <laughs> and we were watching this movie, and again, I got about fifteen minutes in. Shut up! And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to make it. So it really does affect you that bad, huh? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I've gotten better now. Okay. Um, but stuff. You know, I grew up in a very religious household, so mm-hmm. to me, Exorcist. 
that's real. Yeah, that shit's real. So, <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. So about 15 minutes into the movie, it wasn't just me and, and the young lady. It was me and it was a group. But about 15 minutes into the movie, um, I knew that I was not going to make it. Yeah. So I took my phone out and I hit the light. And this is before you know we had all the crazy caller ID with the pictures. I hit the light so my friends could see the light. I'm like, ah, I got a phone call. I got I, I to step out real quick. And I went and saw Almost Famous. You just left him there the whole time. I left him. And my, my buddy, Randy Vaughn, who you both know, yeah. called me at one point and said, hey, man, did we lose you? And I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm still fin- finishing the phone call. Oh, wow. So you lied to your friends. You are. Well, I told him later. You <laughs> are such a wimp. I, I am a scaredy cat. I fully am a scaredy cat. I wow. admit this. That's incredible. When we all went to go see It, yeah. Dave Rapp and I were white-knuckling each other's hands. Oh, I, I don't do – same. I was hanging off the ceiling. <laughs> but I still enjoyed the experience. I like being scared. Um, do you want? Do you want to go? Oh, next? oh yeah. For me, it was kind of the same thing. Uh, growing up in a uh, family where both your parents are immigrants and had to work all the time, I, I was being taken care of by a seventy-year-old uh, uh, Latina lady from the community, Senora Lucila, and so she would come over and babysit and whatever. And so one night she came over to babysit, but she would fall asleep while she was taking care of us. So of course, as you're getting older, you start to push the boundaries, whatever. Six, I think I was six or seven years old when this happens. Uh, my parents are out on a, you know, on a date or a dinner or whatever, and they're out for the evening. So you notice is watching TV, falls asleep. ABC. She's watching whatever she's watching. It falls asleep. I sneak downstairs, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay up and watch TV. But I hide in the coffee table. Remember those old school coffee tables? That, in the coffee table? That, well, like, you know those old school coffee tables that two two, col- two kind of mini columns, and then there's like that area, middle yeah. area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I laid in there, so she, I thought she wouldn't see me if I was under the coffee table, because there was no <laughs> glass, and I could just watch the TV. While she, so what comes on that I had no fucking clue was coming on? Nosferatu. The 1920s version of, of Dracula. And, and when, when you were a kid, that I'm, had just been released. Well, yeah. <laughs> Somehow on TV. <laughs> Which was a new invention at the time. <laughs> we were the only, guy, only people on the block to have one. Uh, but like I, I, I remember seeing that and I lost my motherfucking mind, started screaming and crying. And it woke her up, obviously. And she was <laughs> the coffee table screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Dios mio. <laughs> <laughs> El Diablo! El Diablo! <laughs> she, threw, she threw holy water on it. It was weird. But no, I'm, <laughs> you know, oh, she lit God. those candles. She lit those candles <laughs> with the Mother Mary on them. But no, I, I, to me, it was that was the scariest experience I had because I, I was such a young kid and saw that. And I was just like, oh my God. Like I, I just started screaming and crying. And that movie, for years, I couldn't go to sleep when I was scared. I've seen because of that movie, you know, because he comes out of the darkness and then he comes up the stairs and the silhouette and all of it just super scary for me. Uh, and then I, and then my parents let me see Jaws at a young age as well. And that's not a horror movie necessarily, but I think that's, it was certainly qualified, right? Structurally, Jaws is a horror movie. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, so those those are the ones that like, I have the strongest memories. Uh, I've never seen Rosemary's Baby. Uh, I I just that I feel like that one would scare the living shit out of me. And Exorcist is is tough to endure, man. And that reissue with her doing the spider walk the down the walk. stairs, fuck that noise. I remember that happening. I almost want to run out of the theater. All right, so I'm embarrassed that I'm going last because oh, you have none. My story is makes me look really lame. Uh, <laughs> what? Because so I growing up, my mm-hmm. best friend Eric Matheny, he had an older sister Lindsay, and basically like almost every weekend, either he spent the night at my house or I spent the night at their house. And when I spent the night at his house, yeah. Lindsay usually had a friend stay over too and their, uh, Eric's mom would take us to Blockbuster and we would all rent movies and we rented scary movies all the time. Like that was like our thing to do is like, yeah. you know, order Pizza Hut, watch scary movies and we watched Nightmare on Elm Street movies. We watched Friday the 13th movies. We watched The Exorcist wow. and it was great. Had a blast, yeah. like laughing, jumping, scare, whatever. Yeah. Then we go to the store one night uh, to go to Blockbuster to rent a movie and we're like, ooh, let's rent this new movie, Child's Play. Whoa. Freddy Krueger <laughs> doesn't scare me. Freddy Krueger doesn't Jason scare Jason Voorhees doesn't bother me too much. Wow. Linda Blair and the Exorcist? <laughs> Pea soup is hilarious. <laughs> that fucking doll <laughs> scared the shit out of me. And then, and I distinctly remember this, his living room <laughs> kind of had like a giant archway into the hallway. And we... 
for whatever reason, we were sleeping in the living room. So yeah. we had the sleeping bags and we were sleeping in the living room. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I was staring at the archway into the hallway. And I have an overactive imagination. Sure. So all I was just staring at it and all I could do was just picture that little chubby fingered hand grabbing the side of the uh, of the of the of the wall, and that little face coming around, and just Chucky just grinning at me with a big old knife in the other hand, oh my God. and I just couldn't stop seeing it. And I got up and went and woke his mom up, <laughs> and said that I had some very severe stomach pains, and that my mom <laughs> needed to come get me because my stomach hurt very badly. <laughs> my friend, my friend, the next morning was like, "Where did you? Where did you go?" And I was like. Stomach, man. Stomach hurt bad. Chucky was in that Chucky stomach. scared. Oh, like the part in the original movie where the mom picks up the doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she opens the back of it and she flips up the, the battery packet and there's no batteries in there. And then his head spins around. Woo! Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Now, now, how did you do the next night? Because uh, you grew up with a lot. There were, I imagine, a lot of toys in your room. Do you feel like you were flanked by all a bunch of potential Chuckies? No, because the toys in my room were delightful. Oh. <laughs> None of them looked like they were going to kill me. You didn't have you know, poltergeist toys. No, it wasn't. And I, I was, it wasn't like I thought that toys were going to come to life. Like I didn't have the imagination of like toy. It was just Chucky specifically that scared me. And it was just the idea of him. I calmed right. down after that. Like it was fine. I eased back into life. I don't know what happened to me. I used to love going to scary movies. Now I'm like, okay, all right. I still love going to scary movies. I'll see what I can do. With this. You know, because I poltergeist. Once see all that shit in the theaters, you know, all of it was so much fun. Oh, I had a the rec- Nightmare on Elm Street. I had a recurring nightmare from Poltergeist Two with yeah. that, the the preacher character. Oh, Kane. right. He popped up in my dreams wow. for years. Wow. Like that was another movie that I sort of acted like my sisters were watching. I've never seen it from beginning to end. Right. I I caught a couple of parts. The exact wrong. I got him saying, "Yo, God is here." And then when Craig T. Nelson's drinking the uh, drinking the tequila and he swallows the worm and he vomits a oh, human-sized worm. Right, right. Oh, uh, no. That guy is terrifying. Tall, tall, lanky guys with stringy white hair dressed all in black. Truly frightening. So Legolas. It's very frightening. Right? He, he wears warm greens and Well, Legolas' dad does not. Uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, Lee Pace. Lee Pace. <laughs> those, those brows, man. He's a scary elf. Not no. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, uh, that's, uh, that was a great mic. Thanks for bringing that up. Happy Halloween to everybody. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back to talk about our main news topic here on The, the Geek Buddies. All right. Thanks to all those uh, sponsors of the show. Uh, so much fun to have them sponsoring our show and us talking about it. <laughs> Sound really excited about yeah, it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> uh, we. Um, all right. So let's jump into our main topic. Uh, Mikey, you wanted to introduce this one? Benioff and Weiss, man. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> there it is. That's going to be the title That's of the episode. WTF. WTF, Benioff and Weiss. That's it. I'm totally telling you the episode. Let's just run this. As we had mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, Benioff and Weiss were uh, at the Austin Film Festival. I think it was in Austin, yes. Yeah. Um, and they were doing a Q&A where apparently for reasons, they decided to be super honest about the fact that yeah. they had no clue what they were doing, which based on season eight, most of us knew. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, just we're very uh, candid about – how they had no television experience. They don't know why HBO let them do it. They mm. met with George R. R. Martin, don't know why he approved them, uh, said it was like being uh, paid to go to film school, uh, didn't know how to deal with costume designers, didn't know how to deal with these big shows, didn't – I mean the thing – I think the one that hit me the hardest was uh, the shows were coming in at about 40 minutes. Mm. Uh, and HBO made them write 100 minutes of additional material to insert in and it was only then that they realized that they hadn't written a scene with Cersei and Robert Baratheon and went back in and added the scene not because they felt it was important but they were like, oh, let's write that. Uh, Just if you read the Twitter thread or you read the Variety article, it is horrifying. Uh, uh, Everything they said, which just – it did not – it did not make them look good, particularly in light of most fans' feelings about season eight. Let's yeah. just say that. So that happened. And then mere hours later, it was announced that they were no longer going to be making the Star Wars trilogy that had that had been announced. Right. Uh, 
lot of differing articles about why that is. Um, obviously, given the proximity to the Austin Film Festival debacle, people are like, ugh, Lucasfilm and Disney were like, F this noise, we're out. <laughs> uh, season eight was bad enough and we're done. But – uh, the Hollywood Reporter today kind of had an article that really made it seem like that Benioff and Weiss didn't want it, that they were yeah. feeling more like after the toxic fandom that uh, their words are rumored there, you know, yeah. rumored that there was their words after dealing with the toxic fandom of Game of Thrones. They didn't want to go into another uh, fandom that was having an equal problem with uh, with aggressive fans and just wanted to go deal with their Netflix thing. Also mentioning that. Uh, in the article that Kathleen Kennedy was concerned that mm-hmm. they weren't going to be able to juggle their Netflix deal with doing the Star Wars trilogy. So a lot of differing accounts on why they are out. Yeah. But the bottom line is they're out. The rumored Knights of the Republic prequel series that they were going to do is not going to happen or at least not going to happen with them helming it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's, that's the Benioff and Weiss news. But what a – so I guess the questions are, A, how do we feel about that? Mm. B, uh, what do we think that means for Benioff and Weiss? And C, what do we think that means for Star Wars and what's going on behind the scenes at Disney and Lucasfilm? I mean, I mean, yeah, after the flame out that was season eight, like mm. maybe, maybe this was the right call. I mean, they they had – Especially Benioff. He had worked before. Like, mm-hmm. He wrote the screenplay for Troy, like whether – however you feel about that movie. I mean that was that was a big movie. He wrote sure. a screen, uh, screenplay for The Kite Runner, for 25th Hour, <laughs> X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I think you're making our point for us. Here. Well, 20, well, 25th Hour is a good movie. So. <laughs> well, no. I mean that's but, – but as you know, I mean the, the way a movie turns out isn't always the writer's mm-hmm. fault. I mean that sure. that's falls more into the realm of television. But in this case <laughs> – <laughs> I don't think anyone – I don't think he would argue that X-Men Origins Wolverine is a great movie. Right. But I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. But at the same time, it looks like Lucasfilm – it's like they don't know what they want either. I mean depending on who – depending on who actually ended the relationship. Yeah. I feel, I feel like um, I'm, a, I'm on a, in a shrinking minority on this because I like that they cut bait when they don't think it's working out. I like that. I think they go, look, this doesn't work. For, it's like Tinder. It's like swiping right. It looked like a good idea. We went on the date. Nah, it's not going to work. And I'm out. And good. All right, move on to the next thing. So who do you think cut so you're saying then? Kathleen Ke- – it's fine that Kathleen Kennedy swipes right but then yeah. deletes. And then deletes. Yeah, and then deletes. Yeah, because look, you can't argue the res- – you can argue – even you defend Last Jedi. You can't argue the results. These, all these films except for Solo have made money. And I think Solo was the first mistake she made. Uh, deleting right way too late in the process. I think she should have deleted right at the beginning the, or saw it all the way through. And the Hollywood Reporter article did kind of say, mention the fact that this did not look great for Kathleen Kennedy. So to your sure. it's saying, I, uh, saying the opposite of what you're saying, which yeah. is that given the fact that they got, you know, replace a director on Rogue One, replace a director on Solo, yeah. Ryan, uh, Last Jedi is problematic, uh, now the Benioff and Weiss guys are out. Who knows what's going to happen with Ryan Johnson's trilogy. That right. It looks very uh, shaky ground for her. But I more or less agree with you. I yeah. think that with the possible uh, exception of Lord and Miller on Solo, yeah. it, it seems like for the most part she's been making the right calls. Yes. Colin, Colin Trevorrow is definitely the right call. Yeah. Yeah, oh, right. And, exactly. Oh, and Trank and Josh Trank and Josh Trank. Well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you make the right call. I mean, it's not like it's not like someone went on. And once again, the Lord Miller exception. Everything else she's made has turned out to be overall uh, an enjoyed film even by if, a number of the fans. Even if some of the fans don't love them, yeah. lucrative and successful. Absolutely. And that's what I mean. It, this is not a Michael Bay situation where like a majority of the fans are waiting for Kathleen Kennedy to stop being part of Star Wars. I think there's a strong minority of those people that feel that way. But it's not like Michael, like you know, you you can argue the results, right? A lot of people like you defend Last mm-hmm. Jedi. A lot of people don't like it, like you, Shannon, to a degree. Uh, but uh, you, you, Force Awakens universally beloved. I think Rogue One. A lot of people revere Rogue One, um, and, uh, and and so I, I don't think there's necessarily. I like the fact that she's decisive. I like that idea. She picks this person, thinks it's going to work. As it starts going down, she realizes, wait a minute, there's this is, doesn't look right. Boom. If you can criticize her for anything. It is the fact that maybe there's an issue with her vetting process, and I think that's fair. I think that's a fair criticism to have. I think her making the decision and moving forward and cutting when she needs to cut, I don't think it's negative. Well, but allegedly, um, 
the, when they started off on this new trilogy, how uh, Ryan Johnson said in an interview, like, hey, nobody told me what to do. Like, I, I got to go make what I wanted to make. Yeah. And just to sort of demonstrate that these guys have never been on the same page, allegedly Trevorrow wanted to use Luke. Yeah. He didn't know that Luke was going to be killed off in the second movie. Yeah. So how you have you're, – you're, you're holding all of these sort of conversations independently with these different guys rather than getting everyone in a room and figuring out what we're doing. And it, to point. me, it's a little reckless with something that cost – Billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think this really – when you look behind the scenes of what happened is – you are right. The, the big issue with Star Wars, the big issue mm. is – and they, you know, as we all know, Rise of Skywalker is being touted as the end of an era. Yeah, yeah. This is the end of everything we know in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And you know, when J.J. Abrams did Force Awakens, he kind of got a pass for doing basically a uh, – A trace? A, a reboot. A reboot. I mean, sure. more like, like it's like sure. we got we had a, we had a resistance instead of a rebellion. Mm-hmm. We had a first order instead of an empire. <laughs> but it was the Death Star we, made we, it through, though. We 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 had a Snoke instead of an Emperor. We had yeah. a Star Killer base instead of a Death Star. Yeah. We basically got the same movie and with the same setup. We had the bad guys were the stormtroopers. Right. The good guys were like we got the same thing. And one of the reasons I think Force Awakens was successful is because it gave us what we wanted. It fed that Star Wars itch. Yeah. But with the end of this series. With we finally defeated Palpatine, I'm assuming uh, everything. You don't get to go back to well. Now there's another bad guy, and it's more Dark Lords of the Sith and more Stormtroopers. Like yeah. we've defeated them twice over 40 years. They're not coming back. And I don't think anybody knows what that means for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so what they've been doing clearly, Benioff and Weiss, prior to season eight, yeah. were seen as two guys that were able to build an epic and complex world that people were obsessed with. Ryan Johnson, for whatever people Mm. think about how Last Jedi turned out, came in with ideas about who Jedi were, what the Force meant outside of Luke Skywalker and other stuff that ignited people's passions internally at Lucasfilm enough to say, oh, you might be the guy. And then Kevin Feige – as we you know announced mm-hmm. a few months ago or a few episodes ago, was brought over for either doing one movie or more. I still am not sure what his deal is. Everyone's saying it's just one movie, but I'm like, I think there's probably more to it than that. They are taking all the people in Hollywood <laughs> yeah. that are world builders and saying, maybe you're the one. And then with Benioff and Weiss, based on season eight, based on the Austin Film Festival, based on everything about them, it was yeah. like, oh, okay, you're clearly not. You're out. Right. Ryan Johnson could be on the chopping block, could be not. Oh, Kevin Feige, on, yeah. a pretty solid bet based on the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe. Maybe he's the one. But I think what they are clearly doing is nobody knows what Star Wars is going to be next. Yeah. Like without Luke, Leia, Han, with, like, like what is it? Yeah. And so they are going through and pulling in the people that are the most likely candidates to be able to come up with something amazing. And Benioff and Weiss, like it was – Kind of fool's gold. Does he? Does do they take a do they? How is it? Do they course correct here in a way? And look, they've been going after white dudes for quite some time in this, which they've been crit- criticized strongly about. Exactly. So maybe the choice here is to now look at some female directors and some female creators. And hey, Jane Goldman seems to be available now. The Game of Thrones is canceled. Maybe there's so- that that prequel. Maybe there's something to explore in these other uh, female directors. That that's a way to kind of turn this narrative around a little bit and make it more empowering. And go, okay, we but we're going to hand over a trilogy to these people to create. Yes, does it lean into the SJW? Will you get shit from some of the Star Wars fans? Absolutely. But fuck it, you, might, you make a, you got to be bold and make decisions that are bold. Feige. Doing his movie is going to do his movie, but I don't think they're going to hand Feige a trilogy. And I think Ryan Johnson's on the clock. And I've said this since the end of Return of the Jedi or whatever, uh, The Last Jedi. I said this, I said like uh, on a couple of shows, I think that they handed him a trilogy before they knew what the reaction of the film was going to be. And I think they're hoping against hope that he's going to create some incredible trilogy. And I like Ryan. I think Ryan's fantastic. He's a great filmmaker. Um, and I enjoyed how much he control and also uh, uh, push back and clap back on some of the fans on, in, online. But I also think his thing was connected to Benioff and Weiss. She came out and said that they are working together on a six-film uh, uh Trilogy, or uh, whatever you want to call it, sexology situation where they're all connected in some way. So to have him 
to have one of the the arms cut off, it doesn't seem like there's much uh, for the other arm to do. Did they say that their trilogies were going to be connected? Because the rumor was Oh, they that were working together, I guess, at least to that extent, that they were going to work together on their trilogies. That Benioff and Weiss were going to do Old Republic. Right. That was the, that was the rumor. And that uh, Ryan Johnson's trilogy was going to be... I right. thought in the future. But so here's where here's where the yeah. Kevin Feige piece is really interesting. And maybe I'm wrong. I just thought I heard that. Yeah. If I have Benioff – and this is just what I would do and this is just – it seems that this is just such a no-brainer that this has to be in some level kind of what's going on mm. is you've got Benioff and Weiss over here doing whatever they were doing for Knights of the Old Republic. You've got mm. Ryan Johnson, which is far in the past. You've got Ryan Johnson over here doing whatever he's got in his mind about what it means for the Force and Jedi far off in the future. Right. And you're right. Those two things don't necessarily have to, combi- to combine. But if you were Marvel, mm-hmm. we all know what Marvel does, which is you would have characters or events or things that happened in the Knights of the Old Republic. Right. Somebody would bury some Sith something. And then when we get to Ryan Johnson's series, somebody would dig something up and you'd go, oh, shit, that's from the old – because that's how Marvel movies work. Right. And so when you have these, all these guys working on these things and all of a sudden Kevin Feige pops in and you're like, yeah, he's making a movie too. It's like what Kevin Feige brings to the table is not his skills as a director and not his skills as a writer. Right. What he brings is A, his skills as a producer and storyteller mm. and B, his ability to tell a massive story that connects a massive universe over multiple movies with multiple characters and yeah. multiple timelines. Yeah. yeah. So it just seems like whatever he's doing with his movie or his idea or what it is, it seems like he's the one to come in and clean up some house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if he's not, then that is what they should be doing. Yeah. Do you think this clears the way for Benny for Ryan? If it's if he's not going to be taken off this thing, that to like the focus is now going to be on his trilogy. Well, they had dated the next the next movies mm-hmm. for what 2022, 2024, 2026. Yes, and the, the December releases. The the smart money had been that that was going to be the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. I mean, he he might not be as actively uh, uh, working on it mm-hmm. as he. As, as maybe he should be if it was going to come out in a couple of years. Yeah. I just wonder, like going back to what you said, uh, the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones, definitely the first six, mm-hmm. were spectacular television. I'm wondering, has there been any footage of this press conference or, or the, the Q&A at the Austin Film Festival? Because I don't I, know if there's been any footage. I wonder how much of what they were saying, like, I don't know. Like, obviously, they the the, the train went off the tracks. Mm-hmm. For that last season. Yeah. I'm wondering how much of what they said did it hear as bad as it read is what I'm wondering. I don't know I mean, how you I turn there, it into I, Whether it was Variety or whoever else covered it because it wasn't just the Twitter thread. Mm-hmm. There was another article that covered it that was pretty much like this was bad. Yeah. I mean it sounds like it was pretty bad. Do you think there are showrunners and executive producers and head writers who are like taking baseball bats to their coffee tables in yes. anger that they – did this? They just seem to fumble into this situation and somehow have it all work out for them and sign massive lucrative deals when they think they could have taken better advantage of the situation. I just don't know how you stumble through six successful seasons of television. Well, seven. Well, some would argue seven. First of all, A, you are right. Like I'm not going to try and argue. I, I don't know how you do it either. So yeah. they must have been doing something right. I will say, first of all, they had very clear source material yes. to pull from. True. Right. A huge part of making Game of Thrones work in those first six seasons was not being brilliant in your character development or your storytelling. Mm. It was being a good editor. Right. Like it was looking at the chapters, what happened, let's write that. Oh, this is too long. Let's cut this down. How do we take what is being thought here and write it? Like like it's not as simple as that and there is a skill to it. But like Game of Thrones worked because it was the books. Yeah. It followed very closely. And so give them full props and credit for that. But uh, also there was an entire crew of very talented people doing what they needed to do to make it look good. And certainly execs, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, were like telling them, no, you need to put more material in here, more scenes, more minutes into these episodes because it's not working. So it seems like a whole – as opposed to Kathleen Kennedy kicking people out, they were trying to make the situation work as well as possible HBO was uh, and has probably shepherded other series like this before. So this seems like this is uh, uh, something that HBO does once it commits to a creator and a a showrunner to a show. It's all, all kudos to them. 
for being able to do that. This is what Ryan Johnson said, uh, speaking with Bang Showbiz recently, a couple of weeks ago. He was asked about his future Star Wars franchise. He remarked that Lucasfilm was in the process of figuring out what they're doing, quote unquote, and he'd be thrilled if it happens. So if. that if it so that's massive. So that lets you know that there have been probably conversations with Ryan that, hey, we're not we're, – we're totally – if we can make it work, great. We're not sure what we ha- – we're not ready to pull the plug yet, blah, 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 blah. I think, I think he pro- – I think probably what happened was out of Last Jedi, he pitched what he would like to do. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is just like the end of Last Jedi is very telling. Yeah. I mean the whole concept of Last Jedi being whether they pull back on this or it changes in Rise of Skywalker is that – Ray was nobody. Yes. But she was very strong in the force. And that you don't have to be related to Jedi royalty. You don't like you can just have, be strong in the force. And that little boy at the very end in the last shot, mm. like uses the force. And the whole idea that like the way the Jedi thought of things, the way the Sith think of things is antiquated. It's not that simple. And the force is just this thing that everybody owns, which is kind of what Luke says. Yeah. And if that's the case, you can go off and build an entire new structure of what the force means, who what it what it means to be a Jedi. And he right. probably pitched something along those lines. And they said, that's fucking cool. We don't know what comes next. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Then Last Jedi didn't work as well as they wanted it to. And there's been a lot of discussion and I think that there's just a lot of fear from Bob Iger on down from whether it's from the consumer product standpoint, the toy standpoint, the theme park standpoint, every aspect of what Star Wars is going to touch for Disney and Lucasfilm going, shit, we can't fuck this up. Yeah. Like, okay, we kind of stumbled through this trilogy, kind of like it didn't go exactly the way we wanted, but like, we're going to have to come out with something that is brand new that has nothing to do with where we've been for the past 40 years. Yeah. We can't. So I'm sure they went back to Ryan and said, look, we love your idea. Yeah. We think it's great. We think there's great story here. We really think you're awesome. We still are behind you, whatever. We have to have some bigger level conversations about what Star Wars is going to be and we'll get back to you. That, yeah. that, that to me seems like what the behind the scenes conversation, something along those lines is probably what's being said. And, and more than likely they'd want to start with a clean slate mm. and you're not going to be able to do that with the guy who made one of the, the most divisive Star Wars film, wouldn't you say? No, you would say that. <laughs> the royal you. <laughs> with, the, with the general movie think, going public. I still think Phantom is the most divisive. <sighs> You don't think so? No, I I, I don't find you don't the, the prequels to be that. Div- no, I don't think anyone says Jar Jar Binks is a great character. I don't. Yeah, I think universally it's sort of like, eh, yeah, that was a, that was a swing and a miss. Okay. Um, whereas I think you have people on I both mean, sides of the aisle with Last Jedi. I mean, Phantom Menace is the best out of the tri- out of the prequels. I'm tell you right now, so I, the best movie out of the I'm with Mike. Wow. I'm with Mike. I don't think high? it's a I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's the be- it's a better movie than Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. I just I think Revenge of the Sith is better. Revenge than of the Phantom Sith Menace. is hot garbage. <laughs> hot <laughs> garbage. <laughs> I tell you what, hot garbage is mama jokes. <laughs> in Star Wars. Um, but, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you want a clean slate and you're not going to get that from Ryan Johnson. Yeah. You're definitely not going to get that from the guys who <laughs> dro- drove the truck off the cliff. I mean, how much is Amanda Pete? Who's she married to? Weiss? She's Benioff. Benioff. Yeah. Do you think she's punching the shit out of him right now? No. Like I've... every day. What the fuck is wrong with you? I've, Why did you say that? I think they. I think she's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, for now. <laughs> Status is everything in Hollywood, bro. You know that. Don't be surprised if they don't succeed. If they're, if they're out of the Netflix deal, if that Netflix gets well, out of that deal. Right now, they're not. So. Right, they're not. But if that happens, don't be surprised. The big, Amanda Peet and Ben are getting divorced. The big question with the Netflix deal and the Hollywood Reporter article references as well is when you pay somebody an overall, mm-hmm. uh, when you pay somebody to be in an overall to be working across multiple shows – that means they have to be able to work across multiple shows. Uh, <laughs> right. Neither of them have ever proven that. I mean they've basically in the past decade have done one, 78 episodes of one series. Yep. So their capacity to be producers, write a pilot for this, find the right – right. like they even said in this Twitter thread that like it was just them and like their assistant, like one other person that mm-hmm. wrote the scripts because, they, oh, we were just going to write them all. The HBO was like you should do a writer's room and we're like, oh, no, we're just going to write them all. Like – you, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Netflix because I don't know that they have the nobody knows it, and maybe no. they do. I'm not saying they don't, but like nobody knows if they have the capability to yeah. write and produce across ten series for Netflix yeah. and have Oof. them be 
anything that people want to see. Well, I mean, I, yeah, we, and we got to wrap up. We're at the hour over the hour mark, so just it just uh, we'll see what happens uh, because I'm. I think there's still more dominoes to fall in this situation, and maybe Kathleen might be one of those dominoes. She, she signed through 2021, but if they're angling for Feige here, and I did, they just gave Feige, Feige this new brand new title over at Marvel, I, do I, you think that's going to? I think that yeah. I think that the Feige's. Mar- I know we have to look, wrap it up, yeah. but I know that I think that Feige, the announcement about Feige kind of taking over as much as he's taking over at Marvel, yeah. kind of leans towards they're not going to give him all that and put him in charge of the entire Star Wars right, universe. Right, now they right. might. Have him. They might lean on his storytelling abilities and his ability to build a connected universe to supplement the part of Kathleen Kennedy's job that she's not as good at. Yeah, they might be a really great team together. So I, I like think, that. I think there's lots of different possibilities, but I, I think the end, the end, all be all, and like just based on my Facebook uh, feed over the past few days and based on Twitter, I think most people are relieved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that Benioff and Weiss are uh, are not. Joining us in a galaxy far, far away. It was certainly an uphill battle as soon as that eight thing, as soon as season eight finished. So, and it was building throughout that season. So, uh, all right. Any final words before we wrap? No. Good. Yeah. Last Jedi is a great movie. The end. Oh, great. I don't, I don't think you need to look up the definition of great. You keep using that word. I don't think you know what it means. Uh, G R A T E. Like a sewer. Great. Wow. If you could see the death stare. Not the Death Star, the Death Stare that's happening between Michael and Shannon right now. It feels like a Star Killer. Uh, hey. Way off base. Uh, oh, okay, hey, that's, nobody bets a thousand. Nope, nobody bets a thousand. That's, <laughs> that's, that's it. John can cut this out. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. It's a good back and forth. All right, well, thanks everybody for watching this episode of the Geek Buddies. We always appreciate you downloading the episode. Uh, and uh, what do they need to know, Shannon? Well, yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on on social media on Twitter it's at uh, uh, at Shannon underscore McClung sorry and on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy if you'd like to follow Mike on both platforms it's at MKToon if you'd like to follow Roca at the Roca says I figured I'd just do them all yeah duh, why not I'm, I'm down, down with that uh, definitely uh, you know wherever you wherever you listen to us give us uh, some stars give us some comments give us some ratings we love all of it uh, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you dressed up for as Halloween. Tweet us some pictures of those geeky Halloween costumes, guys. It's going to be really uh, it's gonna exciting to see. I think that's awesome. Yeah, definitely send us pictures or tweet us pictures of, of what you look like in your Halloween costume. Are you guys dressing up yes. tomorrow? I don't believe it anymore, so I don't dress up. What are you dressing up as? Um, Forrest Gump, but after he's been running for about a month. No. Oh, okay, well, with well, the beard? The beard. The bearded okay. Gump. I uh, I already posted on Twitter. I'll probably post more pictures from tomorrow. But uh, me and my me and my gaggle of gays went as the cast of Ducktales. So you're going to keep it the same? Yeah, we're going to do the same costume. Uh, I've seen you do costume changes. We have I have done costume changes in the past. This year we really like the group. I'm a little upset. Uh, the Magic of Dispel and Mrs. Beakley that we had with us last oh, weekend yeah. are not joining us. Okay. But I think we may be picking up a Beagle Boy and possibly even a couple Rescue Rangers. So we're going to see how tomorrow goes. We ho. Yep. We ho. No. You just just dressing up for work? Just for me? Oh, just for just me. just <laughs> just lying around the house dressed as Gump. <laughs> Gonna try to watch The Exorcist. Oh, by the nice. way, <laughs> by the way, I think the best thing you could do for Halloween that would be the just just make my day would be to dress up as Bearded Forrest Gump and just jog around L.A. Oh, uh, that would <laughs> be all awesome. day long, all day long. Depending on what part, they might just think I'm a crazy homeless guy. <laughs> <laughs> True. If we were going to a party, I would dress up as Sally Field. <laughs> With a bed well, attached to my back. I think you two, you two did some really good right. uh, duo costumes. Oh. My favorite was we should post that. My favorite was uh, John as Wreck It Ralph and mm. Shannon as Fix It Felix. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. We should have talked about that. Oh yeah. well, maybe next year when we do Halloween. There you go. Uh, all right, thanks everybody for uh, downloading this episode, and we will talk to you next time on The Geek Buddies. Happy Halloween.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.